0: Hello, my friends. I'm going to go through that here at Builders interview line by line now because I had so many things to say in the moment, but I didn't want to say it because I wanted maximum talk time for Builders himself. Well, today I'll unpack some of my additional thoughts. Uh, that's ahead. But first, let me invite you to subscribe to Rebel News Plus, the video versions podcast. It's eight bucks a month, which might not sound like a lot of dough to you, but you know we rely on it. That's how we pay our bills around here. We're not taking any of this Trudeau money, I'll tell you that. And we're demonetized by YouTube. So it's really just you and viewers like you. Please go to rebelnewsplus.com. Click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. Thanks. Here's today's podcast. Tonight, going over the interview with Hirt Builders, line by line. I've got some more thoughts to share with you. It's December 1st, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. everybody, it's great to be back in Canada. This is where the stories are, this is where our home is. Occasionally I like to travel to foreign destinations when there's news that we can learn from for here in Canada. For example, the massive street battles uh, of the pro-Hamas activists in London, England. I think that's very interesting to us here. Related to, for example, when earlier this year I went to Marseille, France, where they had Muslim riots against the French government. I think there's things we can learn from here when it comes to mass immigration without integration. And uh, over the last few days, as you may know, I was in the Netherlands, a great European country with deep ties to Canada, by the way. We helped liberate them uh, during the Second World War. They had a shockwave in their latest parliamentary elections. Geert Wilders, the leader of the Party for Freedom, shocked the country, and I think himself, by coming in first by a country mile. And I was delighted to be the first uh, Westerner, pardon me, the first non-Dutch journalist to talk to him about it. That's sort of neat. And he did allude in our conversation to the fact that Rebel News is independent citizen journalism, which he said is very important to... uh, Contrarian nonconformist parties like his. I showed you the whole interview last night, and I, I hope you thought it was interesting. It, I knew I only had 15 minutes to talk to him because they jammed us in at the last minute between other appointments he had, and he really was extracted from that room one minute later. You know how I am sometimes in interviews. (laughs) I say a a long thesis and I say to the uh, interviewee, what do you think? I didn't want to do that in this. uh, I mean, I should never do that really. But um, I really wanted to get maximum talk time for him, maximum time for him to say. And I wanted to cover certain issues, not just go deep on some of them. So what I thought I would do today is play a question and an answer from our tight interview and then give you some thoughts afterwards. That is, to give you some thoughts that I would have said had we had half an hour instead of 15 or 20 minutes. Here, take a look. First of all, congratulations. You looked genuinely surprised by uh, the result.
1: Yes, uh, I, I was. And not in a way that we um, won some parliamentary seats, but you know, I hoped and I predicted that if we went from 17 to 25, we would have an excellent result. But it was not 25, it was 37. You know? One out of four Dutchmen voted for my party. Which was an, an earthquake in uh, Dutch uh, and maybe also European politics. So, 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 uh, of course, I'm, I'm I'm very pleased and grateful to all those uh, Dutch uh, uh, citizens and voters, uh, almost two and a half million people, who um, Dutchmen who voted for my party, and that's that's an enormous uh, compliment.
0: Now it looks like uh, there are a number of other parties whose voters tell pollsters they want them to form a coalition with you, but it looks like some of the opposition parties don't want to do a coalition. Looks like they want to sort of deny the results of the election. How's that going?
1: Yeah, we are now in the process of um, 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 talking um, 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 about this issue uh, in Parliament. And um, you are totally right. Um, uh, If you look at the four parties that I think is possible to form a coalition with, the Conservative uh, Liberal Party, uh, the Farmer Party, and the new party of Peter Omtzigt, the four of us would have a, a big majority in Parliament. And uh, more than 80, sometimes even 90% of the um, voters of all those four parties want us uh, to work together. Um, Still, it's not automatically in in a normal uh, situation or country, we would have almost formed the government already. Uh, But some of those parties are hesitant, you know, Um, uh, some because they have lost the elections, believe that it's not their place now um, to to govern, whether that's a real reason or not, that's what they're saying. Others, because they believe that some points out of our party program against Islamization are uh, against our constitution, and they don't want to work with a party who works against the constitution. Uh, so so it's, it's not automatically. So I have to do my best uh, to at least uh, uh, get those four parties around the table <laughs> and talk to one another. It will probably take time, um, 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 and I hope that that will be the result and that not... Um, um other parties would take the initiative and indeed as you said steal those elections away from us um, it, it's not that far yet it's a possibility but I'm still um, hopeful, that um, um, we have a chance to uh, to form a coalition in the government. Let me tell you a few things based on that little back
0: and forth. First of all, you can see we were in their caucus room, the same room that they had the meeting with all their new MPs, and you can still see on the floor some of the party balloons there. So we really were in the heart of parliament, in a high-security building. Um, <clears throat> what's interesting is from our Canadian point of view, getting a quarter of the vote, isn't particularly impressive, right? I mean, although Justin Trudeau is below that in the polls these days and only got 33% in the last election, but in the Netherlands getting a quarter of the vote is enormous because of their electoral system. It's so fragmented. There's so many different parties. There's about 20 political parties because you're not wasting your vote on a small party as you might think you are in Canada by splitting the vote because they don't have the same district-based system. Anyways, um, it's an enormous win, and um, I, I think Wilder's main point there is that not just his voters, but the voters of like-minded parties tell pollsters they want Wilders to form the next government. I thought that was very interesting, but there is going to be, and and Wilders uh, accepted my question, an attempt to, I don't know, steal the vote from him, to use a phrase. Think about it. Until very recently, Holland was ruled by Mark Rutte, who was... Like Gavin Newsom, Leo Pradkar, Justin Trudeau, Jacinda Ardern. He was one of these completely uh, interreplaceable um, World Economic Forum globalist robots. They believe all in the same thing global warming, extremism, censorship, uh, mass immigration. So to go from a Trudeau style prime minister to a populist conservative close the borders prime minister is such a shock that. The deep state, as it were, in the Netherlands is doing everything to stop it. As Wilder Mm -hmm. says, you know, if you had this kind of massive victory before, normally the government would coalesce immediately. What I thought was interesting and hopeful was that Vilders is absolutely dedicated to making a coalition work. And he, as he tells me shortly uh, in the interview, he's willing to put a little bit of water in his wine. He would rather win and form the government and be the prime minister and get, say, 50 or 60 or 70 percent of his agenda done rather than insist on 90 percent of it and not become prime minister. That's the kind of negotiation necessary in a coalition style government. OK, back to the Q&A. You have a lot of ideas that you stood for over the years on immigration, on Islam, on a Brexit for the Netherlands. Uh, Obviously, in any compromise or coalition, there would be some high priorities and other things that you would maybe do later. Have you thought about, have you expressed what your absolute priorities are that are non-negotiable and other things that are maybe less important?
1: Of course. Um, You're totally right. In in, in Holland, uh, unlike uh, the United States or the United Kingdom, um, we don't have a two-party system. We have a multi-party system. We have something like 20 parties in Parliament today. And uh, to get a majority, um, um, you need to compromise. You cannot make sure that your whole party program will be um, um, the government program. It's impossible. If you, if you if you aim for that, you will always be in the opposition. So I have to compromise. And it's a very good question. What are our priorities? Our first priority is uh, to, to to cut back in the enormous figures when it comes to immigration and asylum seekers. You know, it's it's... Uh, Holland cannot face it anymore. The European Union cannot face it anymore. All the measures that, that, that uh, the European Union as a collective is making are totally ineffective, and we, have, um, um, and we are overcrowded, and, and, and the people are fed up with it. So the first thing is that we should take measures uh, to stop the uh, uh, influx of so many asylum seekers and non-Western immigrants. This is my first priority. Second priority is that um, um, uh, people feel that they are totally neglected. the Dutchmen, the indigenous people. Uh, they believe that uh, while we spend uh, 60, 17 billion euros a year uh, um, um, when it comes to uh, nitrogen or uh, climate change or all those other things, that um, um, they are, have trouble um, paying their, for their utilities, uh, the rent, uh, uh, the gasoline for their car, um, 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 the, the, the social security or the, the healthcare system. So we believe that we should stop um, um, feeding those leftish, liberal, ideological nonsense issues, and we should mo- um, make sure that our people uh, have enough uh, money in their pocket and really can can help our economy and help themselves. So those issues um, are the two most important. Stop the immigration and uh, the, uh, the asylum seeking, be proud of our own identity, culture, and everything that goes with that. And make sure that we make better choices with the euros that we have. Uh, don't spend it to Africa. Don't spend it to um, um, other countries in the European Union uh, as a transfer union that we almost have in the eurozone. Uh, don't spend it on nitrogen and other issues. Uh, uh, give our own people their money back with lower taxes and uh, lower burdens uh, uh, for the Dutch
0: the cost of living issue, it's not just in Canada, it's in the United Kingdom, certainly, and there it is in the Netherlands also. You know, it was sort of surprising, shocking to my ears to hear him twice say the word nitrogen. Listen, I know what nitrogen is. It's a uh, element in the periodic table of the elements, like oxygen and fluorine and things like that. So to hear a politician talk about nitrogen... Um, I mean, I know, what he's, I know exactly what he's talking about. That was the essence of the farmer rebellion in the Netherlands. Mark Rutte was having a war on agriculture, saying nitrogen was our enemy. It sounds insane to us, but how much more insane is that than Trudeau's obsession with carbon? Same thing. In fact, carbon and nitrogen are next to each other on the periodic table of the elements, if memory serves me correctly. Both of them are naturally occurring elements. Nitrogen, in fact, is the number one element in the air. Imagine having a prime minister obsessed with eliminating nitrogen, which of course is essential in fertilizers for agriculture. It's just so, it's such madness to our ears didn't you find it odd when he mentioned nitrogen twice? Or I did. But how how much more weird is that than our carbon obsession here? And it has the same effect. It makes everything more expensive. I think he's smart to focus on the issues, he says. He he didn't use the word Islam in his top uh, issues, did he? He talked about immigration. He, he referred to himself and the other Dutch as the indigenous people of the Netherlands. And I think that's a very interesting uh, vocabulary choice. And, and I hear that from time to time in, in the United Kingdom. I hear it in Ireland, the recent riots there after an Algerian refugee stabbed children. And there was riots in the street, and even Conor McGregor, the MMA fighter, got involved. We hear the word indigenous in Canada, and we take it to make First Nation, mean First Nations or Indians, but to hear a Dutch person talk about the indigenous people is very interesting. It's a kind of nationalism of saying, what about us too? Why are we sending money to, in this case, Africa? Why are we wasting money on the European Union? It was very interesting. You can see how that would resonate. And if you saw the streeters, the man on the street interviews I did uh, when I was in the Netherlands, you can see those things clicked with people because it's not just in Canada that people can't afford groceries and gas and housing. And they don't understand why we're on fool's errands against carbon or nitrogen. And they don't understand why foreign asylum seekers, as they're called in the Netherlands, get free stuff, free hotels, free food, free everything for years, Um, when clearly they're just uh, opportunity-oriented migrants. They're not actually fleeing from danger. Very interesting. He's more moderate now than his uh, uh, comments have been in past years, but he's still very firm compared to the Mark Roots of the world. Okay, let's play some more. You're not the prime minister yet, and I imagine some world leaders would wait until you have that position before congratulating you, but you did win the election with an enormous number. Have any world leaders publicly congratulated you or wished you well, uh, or how have other world leaders treated you since the election?
1: Well, um, I get more um, invitations uh, uh, or um, 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 uh, nice messages than I ever had before. I don't know. Whether they are all public. So I should be careful what I say. But for instance, from Israel, I got uh, from ministers, uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, Minister of Intelligence, uh, who uh, people from Likud who invited me and congratulated me. I had a phone conversation with uh, Victor Orban, who called me. I know I'm already for a long time, so uh, but, but still, who called me and congratulated me. Uh, there were politicians from, 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 from all over the world, from South America to America, who um, um, uh, public or not public did that. And, this uh, I mean, it is is—it's really news, you know. You see that uh, in Europe it was unexpected that um, uh, so many people would vote against the sitting elite. You know, they didn't expect it. They are not prepared for it. They are in panic now in Brussels, for instance, for what should we do uh, if this guy would get to power, you know. And this is also um, what uh, makes it more difficult today to form a coalition in the Netherlands. So. Um, I have to be responsible, I have to be able to compromise, I have to, 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 to make sure that the 2.5 million people who voted for my party also get their influence, what they voted for. And that means I also will have to compromise. But the signal throughout Europe and many parts of the world is quite clear that um, um, the people are, a growing amount of people are fed up with how they are dealt with by the current and sitting elite in so many countries. You know, you saw it in other countries. Uh, like Hungary, but also you see the growth of of Marine Le Pen in France, of uh, uh, Mr. Salvini who is in government in Italy now. We saw it in uh, Sweden. We see in Belgium that the Vlaams Belang is doing well. We see in Germany. So you see a kind of a kind of revival of the uh, what I call patriotic uh, movement um, uh, politically, and we need it to be politically because if you want to change anything in our society, you need to be um, 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 in charge and influential in your in your national democracy. And, 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 and it, it goes for the better. And the best way to prove it is that the sitting elite is totally shocked, don't know how to deal with it. Uh, And I think that uh, proves that we are on the right track. I went to Hungary
0: a couple of months ago, did not achieve meeting with Viktor Orban. Again, I was doing the same sort of show up and it might happen move in Hungary that I tried in the Netherlands. It worked in the Netherlands. I'll try again maybe one day in Hungary. But I'm not surprised that Viktor Orban called up here at Vilders to congratulate him because Orban has similar policies. He is for the indigenous Hungarian people. He is against... Foreign migrants, especially uh, Islamic migrants who he feels are not integrated with Hungarian society. And he is hostile to the European Union. So it is no, no surprise at all. You heard some of the other countries that were mentioned there and some Marine Le Pen of France. Uh, Georgia Maloney in Italy, there are these populist movements. And that's, I think, why the deep state is going to try so hard to block here at Wilders. And one of the other parties on the right that is such a natural fit for a coalition, whose party members have said in polls since the election, more than 90% of them want their party to be in coalition with caret builders. They are surprisingly resisting it, and I think that there are some very deep subterranean movements afoot trying to deny caret builders the right to be PM by any means necessary. Because imagine if caret builders became Prime Minister. Imagine the green light, the encouragement that would give to these other populist nationalist uh, parties throughout Europe that are fed up with the European Union, fed up with the elites, fed up with the carbon and nitrogen obsession, and frankly, fed up with unintegratable immigration. I think absolutely uh, the Netherlands would be encouraging for France, for Belgium, for the, the Nordic countries, and... I think that's why Kurt Wilders has not been able to form government yet, and he actually may have it stolen from him. I think he's coming across very reasonably here, and I shouldn't be surprised. He's been in politics for decades, and I I think he's had a chance to really think through what he will do with his um, enormous seat count. So I think he's putting a great foot forward. One quick point before we go back to the interview. I remember when Jair Bolsonaro won in Brazil a few years back. Brazil, one of the largest countries in the world economically, population-wise, an enormous country. Trudeau refused to congratulate him, just refused, because Bolsonaro was a populist Trump-like figure. And and Wilders, you know, in, in his own way, and same with Javier Millet in Argentina, Trudeau was so petulant that he put his own personal distaste ahead of the national interest and would not reach out to Bolsonaro. I thought it was super gross. And last I checked, Trudeau didn't reach out to Millet in Argentina either. It does not surprise me that he hasn't reached out to Jair Wilders. Now, it's true that Wilders is not yet prime minister. And perhaps, in some sense, it might be premature to congratulate him as prime minister, since he's not that yet. But to congratulate him on the vote... Trudeau won't do that, though, because to him, it's all about friends and enemies. Not Canadian interests, but his personal interests of friends and enemies. And I suspect that Canadian-Dutch relations will suffer because of Trudeau's petulance. I mean, seriously, is there a single country in the world that Canada is closer to, friendlier with, that looks at Canada better now than when Trudeau was first elected eight years ago? I can't think of one from India and China being the two biggest examples to Joe Biden walking all over Canada, to, like, really, I mean, maybe Cuba is friendlier to Canada now. I'm not sure. Maybe Ukraine is, because Trudeau's giving him dough. But even then, I think, actually, Harper was a much stronger and more meaningful ally to Ukraine. Trudeau is awful at foreign relations, and I'm not sure why anyone ever thought otherwise. All right, let's go back to the interview. I saw you last night uh, at an event. There must have been 30 or 40 police there and I remember when I visited you before. Your security is a very high priority because of threats of violence. But there's also another fear: people who criticize immigration or Islam, uh, they don't just have fear of assassination; they they have fear of being called racist. Yes. Um, what advice would you have for people in other countries who want to take the same position as you? On immigration, but are afraid of either violence or, more likely, they're afraid that they'll just be called
1: racist. <laughs> well, the 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 one thing that that really helps is to to find a political party to start a political party to support an existing political party uh, that, that 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 makes it uh, something that is more common. You know, that's what we saw in Holland when we started when I started my political party. Exactly the same happened. I'm in the in the problems now with my personal security, because I got five fatwas from Pakistan, from, from many uh, Arab countries, where imams uh, and, and mullahs uh, said that I had to be killed. Um, today you see in Holland that not only when it comes to immigration, but also when it comes to other issues, that um, 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 people are not afraid to say it anymore. You know, That's one of the differences of last week. People were whispering to one another in the last few years that, okay, I, I vote for this PVV and this this guy, but they, they said it uh, while well, having a coffee, at their work instead of uh, publicly. And now people are, uh, for the first time in Holland, they are proud to do so. They say it at work, they say it uh, when they go to the gym, they say it uh, on, 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 on a party, a birthday party with their with their neighbors. So uh, at, at the end of the day, we make this criticism normal because we know that the elite who is ignoring it and was calling us racist, but we are everything but racist. In Holland and in so many other countries, the indigenous people are the people that are Discriminated against. It's not the people who are entering our country uh, in Holland. People get housing, asylum seekers get housing, and they get preferential housing before the Dutch indigenous people. So who is discriminating who? And people uh, are, are really angered about that. And if they, if they, if they, if, they, if you want to get uh, to capitalise it, you need a, a political institution, a political group who does it. And that's what I said. Uh, we are in many more countries in Europe. Um, parties are getting successful, so um, uh, people like you and uh, the alternative media really help a lot by saying what a lot of other media doesn't uh, want to broadcast or to say, but at the end of the day, you need a political translation to influence in a, in a, in a parliament and a government, and uh, so that's what I would advise. Don't be afraid. Um, 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 speak out, but try to canal it, canalize it in a, a, a political group. You know, when I did those streeters, again, I was outside a train station. So I wasn't
0: oversampling any particular group. There were right-wingers and left-wingers and immigrants and indigenous people and young and old. And I spoke to several Moroccans. And, you know, so I really spoke to a random mix. When you're outside the main train station... Um, I think that's a random sample of people. I was really surprised, by the way, by how many ordinary Dutch people stopped to talk. Um, I think in Canada, to be honest, people are a lot uh, more brusque, and certainly in Toronto, they're a lot more rude. Not a single person was rude to us. I was being my friendly self, but it was a lot easier to get people in the Netherlands to talk to us than it is in Canada. Um, I don't know if, I I mean, and it happened so many times, I'm not sure if it was just an anecdote or an anomaly. I, I think maybe they're a tiny bit friendlier over there, sorry. Um, But none of the people I spoke with, including uh, Moroccan, uh, Dutch, including visible minorities, none of them had vitriol or antipathy towards Keert Wilders or his Freedom Party. None of them did. Um, and I spoke to several people who said, well, I didn't vote for him, and he's not my cup of tea, and, wow, well, it's not my first choice. But no one was full of a derangement. Like, it wasn't that Trump derangement syndrome. You know, if you mention Trump, people start shouting at you. And, like, there wasn't any of that craziness. Now, Kurt Wilders has tweeted in recent days that the mainstream media has gone absolutely nuts against him, absolutely smearing him in a number of ways. And I'm sure that's true. But I just found on the ground that he actually has been normalized. And if you have a quarter of the Dutch population voting for him, that means you can't just say, oh, some kook, because in your own family, in your own friend group, as he said, you know, to barbecue the gym or a birthday party, odds are, if you're with a group of four people, one of you voted for him and maybe another one thought of voting for him. So it's very interesting. He's been plugging away at it for 20 years. And and even his language, like, what about the indigenous Dutch people? Uh, he says that, and it resonates. And I think that ordinary Dutchmen were just no longer scared off by the regime media because, you know, they they the media has lost its its credibility. When you talk about we have to stop nitrogen and carbon to save the world, people say, really when you have the establishment discredit itself with lockdowns and vaccine mandates and abuse its trust, as has happened over the last three years, I think people are more willing to embrace contrarians and rebels than they were before. And I thought that was just a very interesting encouragement. And he's absolutely right. Um, I think of the parties in Germany, the AfD, the Alternative for Deutschland, which is like Geert Wilders' party. I think that they, if Geert Wilders can become PM. That will encourage other countries to do the same. And that's why this is such an important battle. And remember they tried to strangle Brexit in the cradle when the Brexit election happened in early 2016. People were shocked. They didn't believe it. And even the government that held the Brexit referendum, which was a nominally conservative government, didn't believe in it, didn't want it. They thought the the referendum would just be a way to blow off steam and say, look, no one agrees with this. They were shocked by it. And they spent years trying to stop it from actually being fulfilled and i think that they're going to try and do that to here builders they're shocked by it they're going to try and stop it from being fulfilled and that's why it's such an interesting race to follow okay back to the interview other countries like canada the conservative party is pretty conservative and pretty freedom oriented but it still has an open borders immigration policy in the united kingdom the conservative party open borders policy every day across the english channel what advice would you give to freedom-oriented conservative parties um who are obviously afraid of losing um the vote of
1: uh, new new immigrants what, what what advice would you have for canada or the united kingdom well don't be afraid um, first don't be afraid a lot of people will support you secondly it's a totally misconception that the immigrants would disagree because maybe for some people, surprisingly, the immigrants agree. Many of the immigrants agree. For in Holland, uh, many of the immigrants, even many Muslims, voted for my party because they know that when there is too much influx of immigration, that the integration and the success for them will only uh, diminish. So they also are in favor of less immigration. They know, they see what will happen with the housing, with the, with the income, with the jobs, or with everything. So surprisingly, it's not surprisingly, but surprisingly to many people, they are often our allies. They don't want uh, more immigrants to come as well. And the own voters, the indigenous people, they, uh, in a the growing majority, also feel the same. So uh, don't be afraid to be political correct or incorrect. Uh, just state your mind. Uh, people believe, I always make the comparison to one's person's house. You know, you have to be able in your own house to decide who will be your guest, and uh, when the guest should leave, uh, mm-hmm. and should, this should be your autonomous uh, and, and a nationwide and, and national decision. In Holland, most of it, we, we gave those powers to the European Union. Canada is a sovereign country. There is no European Union in Canada. So the Canadian government really can decide um, to um, close the borders for people they don't want to enter, like President Trump uh, did and s- is planning to do if he would win uh, next year by... Uh, uh, people from certain countries. So don't be afraid. Just do it and you will be surprised how many people support it, including, uh, the, um, um immigrants themselves. Well, that's undoubtedly
0: true. I, I, I mean, incredibly. Pollsters, for the first time, are starting to ask questions about immigration, about diversity, is diversity our strength? Uh, and I've seen it in a number of newspapers, Leger, for example, Canada's uh, one of Canada's most reputable pollsters. We've actually done some work with them too, by the way. Um, they show that uh, if anything, people want less immigration, not more. And people are doubting that diversity is our strength. Of course, there are some benefits from having a mix of people from all over the world. That's uh, undoubtable. but uh, having a common bond amongst us, common beliefs is is more important. This is what the polls say. And I think Vilders is right. Um, if you are a new immigrant to a country, you're trying to fit in, you don't want to be picked on, you want to be liked and trusted. And if so many immigrants are coming in that it's creating a national crisis, you, you don't want that because you'll be on the brunt of any negative feedback. And I think there's some truth to it. And just because someone themselves is an immigrant to Canada, for example, doesn't necessarily mean that they want a million immigrants a year to Canada also, Uh, not just because it may redound to their discredit, but because they also don't like housing prices being driven up and wages being driven down. I think builders is right. Trouble is, we've never had that chance. You know, I saw a tweet by our friend Candace Malcolm, the boss of True North the other day, and someone was talking about uh, Pierre Polyev being alt-right or far-right. And and Malcolm, uh, Candice Malcolm posted this tweet, and I just want to read some of it or skim it, because she was right on. I mean, how right-wing is Pierre Polyev? Does Polyev want to lower immigration numbers, focus on integration and abandon Canada's failed multiculturalism agenda? No, he barely mentions immigration and hasn't committed to lowering levels from Trudeau's historic highs, doubling the number of annual newcomers. Does Polyev oppose radical Islamists? No, he barely mentions radical Islamist ideology and occasionally uses Islamist talking points like the ill-defined and always weaponized Islamophobia. And then she asks other questions like, does he support protectionism and big government programs? Uh, No, his focus is on sound monetary policy, curbing inflation and lowering debt to GDP ratio. I'll skip ahead. Does he want to protect kids from gender ideology? No, he voted for Bill C-4, which makes it illegal for psychologists to offer anything but gender affirming care to confused and indoctrinated citizens. Anyhow, I won't read the whole tweet to you, but, you know, just how right wing is Pierre Polyev on immigration and multiculturalism and Islam? there's actually no difference between him and Trudeau. Now, someone might think, well, maybe he's just waiting to get elected before he reveals his true self. I'm not sure if that hopeful approach to politics has ever worked in history. There's no doubt about it. Pierre Polyev must win the next election, in my view, and Trudeau must be ousted. But uh, he is no right-wing conservative populist in the vein of Geert Wilders, at least not yet. But uh, you have to shape the political battlefield before your champion enters the ring, you can't expect Pierre Polyev to be the cutting edge on issues that the the political debate has to be opened up and chewed over first for people to come to a national consensus to lower immigration to get away from diversity is our strength equity inclusion to get away from transgenderism and that's one of the important rules of ind- rules of independent journalists by the way that's why I'm excited to see other media doing polls and talking about these same questions okay let's we're almost done the interview let's watch a little more i'm grateful to you for fitting us your schedule. I know you have to leave in about three minutes. Can I put some ideas to you and you can give me like a 30 second top of mind response? Um, What are your thoughts on Russia, Ukraine in 30 seconds, if it's possible?
1: Yeah. Well, um, um, I believe that uh, Russia is the bad guy here. Um, I believe that whatever you think of the Ukraine, corrupt country, but um, um, it's a sovereign nation and uh, Russia should not have uh, uh, started the war Uh, against Ukraine. So I'm on the part of the the Ukraine here. I believe that the Dutch should not uh, give um, um, defense material to them um, because we have very little material ourselves and other nations are doing it. Um, I believe there should be negotiations instead of a war. But I'm very clear that the one who started it is Russia and nobody else.
0: Isn't that interesting? He started off by saying Russia's the bad guy. And then he immediately said, well, that doesn't mean that we have to support money or you give money or you give weapons or things like that. I, I think that's a principled position, but you would never hear that in Canada either. There's such a lockstep by all the political leaders. It's like, I mean, it is absolutely the entire political, military, media establishment in Canada uh, isn't just that. Russia is wrong, which I think most people would probably agree with that. I mean, invading another country is a violation of so many norms. But once you say that, as Wilder said, does that mean we have to shovel money and military and refuse to even contemplate a diplomatic solution? I don't know. I think Wilders has a more realistic position. It's more in line with Viktor Orban. And even though the Netherlands obviously is part of the Western alliance, uh, I think it shows that other countries have a more wide-ranging debate about key issues like that than we do here in Canada. In many ways, what here Wilders is saying is part of a conversation that I think many Canadians would like to have, but we don't have it. And I think one of the reasons is their multi-party system. If you really do have 20 parties in your parliament, that means you're gonna have a wide range of opinions on almost anything. We don't have that in our country. We have the liberals and the conservatives, the only two uh, parties ever to form government in the last century. You've got the NDP and the Bloc Québécois for some uh, uh, smaller agendas, but neither will, will likely ever win. And then you have a handful of green candidates coming in at the margins. But you really don't have a diversity of opinion. I recall this scene in the last federal election where all five party leaders essentially held hands and made a, uh, I don't know, like a, a public service announcement for vaccines. Do you remember this at the last leaders debate where all five leaders basically agreed on everything?
2: We're all in
1: this together.
0: We've come so far in the fight against COVID. It's time to finish this pandemic for good. So get vaccinated. If you know someone who hasn't, talk to them. For our
2: kids, for our communities, for our economy. It's how we get forward together. Vaccines are safe and effective for use. Vaccines are the best way for you to protect yourself, your family, and your community. So get vaccinated. Let's fight COVID-19 together.
1: Pour vous protéger vous-même, pour protéger les plus fragiles d'entre nous, pour protéger l'ensemble de la population, le meilleur moyen connu demeure le vaccin. S'il vous plaît, soyez responsable, soyez solidaire, faites-vous vacciner. Merci. We all agree getting vaccinated is the way forward.
2: We're all in agreement this is not a partisan issue, so please get vaccinated. We're united and it's time to get the shot. Vaccines save lives. They're how we're going to beat COVID. And it's time for everyone to do it. Get the shot. Get the shot.
0: Yeah, I think in some ways, the Netherlands' uh, political system is healthier than ours. It's more complicated and it's more messy. But I think it's freer than ours. What do you think? All right, back to the interview. How about the war between Israel and Hamas? Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, uh, it's not a war about land. That is my message. It's a war about ideology. If you give land like my friend Ariel Sharon, um, I knew him very well. I was his guest when he was, um, um, uh, when he started to become a president, prime minister. I was at his funeral. I know him for so many years. He was a great guy. One mistake he made was giving Gaza, and um, 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 return Gaza uh, to, the, uh, to the Palestinians. Um, it, don't make the mistake that if you give part of land to um, Palestinians or others, that uh, the problem will be solved because it's not a problem of land. It's a problem of ideology. It's 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 people who hate, um, who like, who love death against people who cherish life. It's 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 Israel is fighting our war. We support. We should support Israel because um, they have our values. They are a democratic nation. And if Israel falls, I always say, if Jerusalem falls, Rome. Paris, Amsterdam will be next. So um, 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 I support the decisions that Israeli make. They should make the decisions whether they, what they should do militarily or politically. But um, I believe we should all support Israel all the way um, um, instead of criticizing them. You you would
0: never hear a statement so strong in support of Israel by any political leader in Canada. Uh, And and certainly not by the president of the United States, Joe Biden, who in fact is putting handcuffs on Israel uh, to to limit its ability to fight back. and again, this is something confusing to the liberal mind. Here is someone they like to portray as alt-right or bigoted, and that's the most pro-Israel comment you'd ever hear. I think he's been to Israel literally 40 times in his life, which is more than almost anyone else I've ever heard of. I mean, the guy is a friend to the Jews, and uh, I think that confuses some Jewish liberals who like to paint anyone who's f- for controlled immigration and for integration as some sort of racist. builders is, is not a racist at all. Um, I thought that was a very very interesting comment there. And um, again, it's something that we don't have here in Canada now, do we? Came back to the interview. I think I only have time for one last question. Earlier, you mentioned independent media like Rebel News. Uh, in Canada and in the United Kingdom and in Ireland and many countries, there are new censorship laws. You yourself have been prosecuted for hate speech. Uh, w- Are you worried about global censorship, New Zealand, places like that? What are your thoughts on censorship?
1: No, I'm very very worried about that. It's that that the the, 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 the governments, uh, the parties, the institutions that know that they cannot win on the base of arguments, that they are afraid for opponents uh, to speak the truth. And even if they don't consider it the truth, it is an opinion and people should be informed by both ways. Um, I don't mind if there are government institutions or government television, but there should also be free speech for almost everything. I really long for a kind of First Amendment that the Americans have, that we should have, that uh, Canada uh, should have, that the whole free world should have. We should never accept that they uh, would not allow us to speak our mind and and, 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 and stations like uh, Rebel Media and yourself are, are... are, are, are the most important today. Um, I believe many more people um, um, follow you and watch your programs than uh, they did 10 years ago for exactly the reason, not only because you have a good program, because they have no alternative to look at. So, so this is also why politics is important. We had in Holland, and uh, now in the last few months, we had this new uh, public broadcaster uh, called Ongehoord Nederland. Uh, they um, were uh, within the public system, but they were very critical. And the old elite said, we should forbid them because he said something wrong about uh, whatever. And they didn't like it. And finally, now, after the elections, when they saw that my party was big, the uh, secretary of uh, media said that they could stay in, uh, in the air. And they should not have to shut down. And I don't know if it's a direct result of our winning the elections, but it's too much of a coincidence that they did it a few days after the elections. So again, here, political power, fighting for freedom of speech, um, um, against uh, the 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 uh, what, what what the elite wants to do and not to let us speak the truth is the only way and uh, we will get there I mean our if if, 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 if I my um, the winning of the PVV means anything uh, for other nations um, is that there is hope for change.
0: Congratulations again and thank you for your time today.
1: So, Thank you for coming here.
0: Well, I really enjoyed that, and I was grateful to him for his compliments. Uh, Of course, he did an interview with me years ago when Rebel News was uh, much smaller, and when he and his party were smaller. I'm flattered that he remembered that. I actually went on tour with him uh, across Canada. That's when I first saw the massive security entourage he needs to protect him from all the fatwas. Um, very interesting. Again, I was very honored to, to be given the opportunity to be the first non-Dutch journalist to interview him after his election result. You know, I went on the CBC website, cbc.ca, and I typed in Hirt Builders in the search bar. And at least when I did this a couple days ago, there was only one story about it, and it wasn't. Even a CBC written story. It was some, you know, repurposed wire copy from Associated Press or something, um, which is odd because there's a lot of Dutch people in Canada, and the Netherlands is a fair-sized country. It's not as big as Canada, but it's about half our population, and in any event, this is a momentous uh, occasion. Uh, it's a it, very interesting result, but the CBC doesn't want to talk about it. They don't want to give him any credit. They're hoping that uh, the election will be taken from him in some way. And uh, I think a, a lot of CBC viewers will be confused because the CBC has not talked about him. They've sort of pretended he doesn't exist. And I've always said that that is actually the worst form of bias in the media. Not how they cover a story, but whether they cover a story at all to begin with. I mean you can see that in the crazy world of transgenderism every transgender issue even if it's a one in a thousand people who care about it is given enormous coverage uh because the cbc is actually promoting the narrative uh whereas important news is often completely blacked out I think that's a way that that the news is controlled well there you have it my thoughts On the interview, I mean, there were there were so many things I wanted to say. In the moment when he was talking about, I don't know if you heard that when he said, you know, it's Jerusalem today, it's Rome tomorrow. That's his way of saying, you know, once the Islamists are done killing the Jews, they're not done. Then they'll move on to the Christians. And I don't know if you saw this the other day. You know, in New York City, one of the great traditions of that city is, I think it's in front of Rockefeller Center, they had this in. Christmas tree. Like it's got to be one of the tallest trees in America. It's brought to New York City every year on a huge long flatbed truck. And they like the Christmas tree. It really is a magical downtown New York City, Manhattan moment. And it's a Christmas thing. It's not political. It's mildly Christian. And by that, I mean, it's it's not just for Christians. It's not a particularly religious moment, but it is the Christian holiday and it's Christian people. And, and, and absolutely, it's a Christian thing, but it's not just a Christian thing, I'm saying. I mean, Jews, we're having a Christmas party at Rebel News. I'm not Jewish, but we have a Christmas party. But look at the violence, the riots that happened in New York by pro Hamas extremists. They're not targeting Jews this time, So targeting Christmas. Take a look. Yeah, that's what Wilders is talking about. Jerusalem today, Rome tomorrow. That's his way of saying they're going for the Saturday people first and then the Sunday people. Well, Thanks for watching that review of my interview. It was really exciting and I'm grateful to I had a video from Monsanto who accompanied me on that whistle stop tour. By the way, we were set to come back just 36 hours on the ground. And then we ran into a snag and we were trapped at the Amsterdam airport for 27 hours, which uh, put a test to my famous patience. But uh, it's, I'm glad to be home and I'm not gonna go anywhere for days. Uh, stay with us. Our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed is next. <laughs> Well, thanks for watching that here Builders interview with me. It really was a journalistic feather in my cap. I was so grateful for the opportunity. But listen, there's important news going on in Canada. And one of the roles we have is to hold the NDP to account because the CBC and the rest of the regime media, they, they never really do. Whether it's Jack Meet Singh or Rachel Notley, they're more in the form of cheerleaders than actual journalists. Luckily, we have a real journalist on our team. Her name is Sheila gunn She's our chief reporter, and she broke some news about the NDP in Alberta. Sheila joins us now from her home in the Edmonton area. Sheila, great to see you again.
2: Thanks for having me on the show, boss.
0: Well, it's my pleasure. You know, I enjoy covering dramatic international stories from time to time, but Canada is our home. And, um, you know, Jordan Peterson says, you want to save the world, start by cleaning up your room. We want to save the world, but we also have to pay attention to local matters, including Rachel Notley's NDP. What's the latest on her?
2: You know, it. This is where I started, I feel like I've come full circle, holding the NDP to account on behalf of the people. What happened is that we received some leaked court documents from 2019, and they involved somebody named Ben Aldritt. Now, that might not be a name that a lot of people know, but he is frequently quoted in the media as being an NDP spokesperson. In fact, um, when all of this went down, he was the chief of staff to Sarah Hoffman, uh, our health minister at the time. In December 2018, Ben Aldrit was arrested in a prostitution sting in Edmonton. And we know that because he made his first court appearance on it in January. And the NDP hushed this up because that was just four months before the election, wherein the United Conservative Party's Jason Kenney would sweep into power. And so they wanted to make sure that nobody knew anything about a staffer in their midst being accused of sexually exploiting vulnerable women. And I'm making an assumption here that it's a woman just based on, um, you know, the the overwhelming majority of these cases happen to be women. But if you look at Ben Aldrich's Twitter account, you might not know because he's got his pronouns in there. He calls himself a spouse and not a husband. Uh, he said he's the parent of a child, not the father of a son or daughter. So, you know, I'm, I'm making a lot of assumptions here. But the NDP hushed this up and for years. They put Ben Aldrich on a leave of absence, quietly, but he recently came back into the fold. In 2021, he's quoted as a spokesperson for the NDP, and in 2022, I believe he was the director of communications for the NDP caucus. This went through two election cycles and not a single member of the mainstream media touched this story. I assume they probably knew about it, but if they didn't, they know now. And you know what? They haven't uttered a single word on this. And if you know that this was UCP, the mainstream media would be lighting their hair on fire about yeah. this.
0: You know, uh, any crime is a serious matter if you're in the government. You have to be law-abiding. Uh, I'm not saying that there's no such thing as redemption or people paying their price and coming back. I, I, I actually... As I get older, I believe in second chances more, as long as you're contrite and have, have done a penance of some sort. But there's something, uh, a special character to sex crimes, uh, especially prostitution. It's not just, you know, it's not shoplifting or a drug offense, uh, where frankly, I mean, and a lot of crimes are, are sort of victimless crimes, uh, especially on the drug side. I think, well, It's probably not true, your family is a victim. But when you engage in female trafficking it is always under duress and there's an exploitation there that is very political and it's what feminists claim to be against and that's why i think this is so noteworthy is that the ndp will tell you that conservatives hate women and they are the champions of women but here you have someone who who exploited trafficked women who many in many cases they're they have some psychological problems, some mental health problems. They're they're being uh, abused and exploited by pimps and human traffickers. They are in an extreme position. And for a man to come and take advantage of them and for that man to be in a feminist party is so gross. But how different is that from Trudeau who sexually assaulted uh, Rose Knight in BC and then later said, oh, she experienced it differently. There's nothing worse than a male feminist, Sheila.
2: And this guy apparently is a male feminist. If you go through his Twitter account, and I did, it's nothing but repeated instances where he is accusing the United Conservative Party about not caring about women, and in particular, racialized women, Hmm. to use his language. Well, guess who the majority of sex workers are on the streets of Edmonton? Racialized minority women. And this guy was exploiting them. Uh, for his own sexual means. I'm reliably informed by the NDP that they don't care for the commodification of women's bodies. But they kept this guy in their midst. They covered up for him and then brought him back into the fold and gave him a promotion after all of it.
0: Well, you know, let's not forget that Jack Layton, Saint Jack Layton of the NDP was caught in a brothel a uh, uh, massage parlor in in Toronto by police with young immigrant women and the police gave him a pass, and the media gave him a pass, and it finally came out through citizen journalists, and I think the Toronto Sun, to their c- credit, did a story on it. But it was just completely forgotten about. And no mainstream reporter would dare sully themselves by asking a grubby little question like that. It was as if it was, oh, that's just Jack's private life. It's not a private life when you're exploiting um, minority immigrant women who have been trafficked. And and just for Jack Layton to... to pass himself off as a male, there's nothing grosser. I think of Jeanne Gameshi of the CBC who actually had a women's studies degree. And yep. it's obvious now in retrospect, why? That's where the women are. It's like asking Al Capone, why do you why do you rob banks? Well, that's where the money is. Why did you join, uh, why did you get a women's studies degree? Cause that's where the women are. And these serial abusers, it, it they are preemptively feminists to put everyone else on the back foot so you won't think that they're, that they're sexual predators and to preemptively take away... I mean, I, I'm certain that Trudeau's entire feminist shtick is just a preemptive defense against questions about things like when he sexually assaulted Rose Knight in Creston, BC. It's so gross. What, what's he doing now? Is he still with the NDP?
2: That's not clear. Um, He says he works in freelance communications. But like I said, up until very recently, he was being quoted in media reports as working for the NDP. When I did this story, he had the NDP URL, the link back to the website in his Twitter bio. So and even worse, I can't get the NDP to respond to this. I can't get him to respond to this in an effort to be a responsible journalist. I reached out to both sides and um, we just we are doing our best to get to the bottom of this. And like I said, if this were the UCP, it doesn't matter what the press conference is about. They would be absolutely hammered with questions about yeah, this. Yeah. But all the mainstream media journalists have their blinders on. We even publish the documents so that people don't have to believe us that so that the mainstream media journalists, lazy little people that they are, they could take my work and turn up at a press conference and ask a question. They haven't done a single thing on this.
0: Yeah, and they wonder why no one trusts the mainstream media anymore. Sheila, great work, great journalism. Thank you. Keep it up, and uh, I'm glad you are holding the NDP to account because the regime media certainly are not. Stay with us, Your uh, actually my final thoughts next. Well, thanks for your patience, and I should have thanked Sheila for hosting my show when I was uh, on my journey to the Netherlands. I think it was worth it to sit down with a newsmaker, uh, the man who's likely to be the next prime minister of the Netherlands. It felt like a, a moment where Rebel News sort of proved that we can play with the big boys, even beat them, being the first non-Dutch journalist to interview her Wilders, and to see what's going on there. Because those issues, wasn't that an interesting Interview, the way he talked about indigenous Dutch people standing up for themselves, and about stopping wasting money sending it outside the country, and the crazy war on nitrogen. And, and it sounded even crazier just hearing that, but we do the same on guy. I think there were a lot of things to learn there. And his advice to parties in the West, including in in Canada, I thought that was very useful. I'm gonna think about this interview for a long time. And if he does become prime minister, which I hope he does i got to have a keen interest in that country because I've got a bit of a connection to their boss now. And um, I hope to keep in touch as news warrants. That's our show for today. Until Monday, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom.